the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. It's that time again where we take your phone calls and answer your Bible questions. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And what we try to do here every day at 4 o'clock is to give you the opportunity to ask anything and everything that's on your heart, anything that you're uncertain about or confused about, um, what we believe as Christians and why, something that you're experiencing in your life, Bible questions, life questions, uh, we'll do the best that we can. We love your live phone calls. The phones have been quiet for the last few days on the program. You can call us by dialing 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local area, you can call toll-free by calling 877-630-KSLR. Numerically at 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. We have a lot of questions that have been sent in. You can also send those questions in via our free Calvary Chapel mobile app if you're driving in your car because I want you to be safe. The safest way to do it is to use the free KSLR mobile app. You have to put one button, call now, and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. One more time, 340-9585. Normally on Tuesday, I don't have anything to say. We just get right into questions, but I have a public service announcement right now. I beg you to go to our website, calvarysa.com, and watch Myra Joe's Sweet Summer Devotion from last night. You moms with young or not so young daughters, those of you who are sort of offended by people with alternative lifestyles, I beg you to watch Myra Joe's Sweet Summer Devotion. We've got it online at calvarysa.com, uh, and it is worth every moment. It glorifies God. I think she did just a wonderful job. I could not have been prouder. So, um, you know, these aren't professional speakers. These aren't people that are crafting Bible studies. These are women who've been in real-life situations, difficult real-life situations. And Myra Jo is just one example, and she is a trophy for Jesus, celebrating the power of God to transform a life. So if you do that, I promise you, you will be blessed. Now I can go to questions. Oh, before question, I understand we have a phone call from Lavernia, Texas. Crystal on line one. Crystal, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi there. Um, Thanks for taking my call. My pleasure. Um, So I have been thinking about a question that a caller called in. Gosh, it must have been over a month ago. Um, She asked why there were four different Gospels. And you gave a very good explanation as to, like, the the purpose of each one being to um, describe different um, 
you know, to, I guess for different audiences. And um, I, like, could not remember what you said about each book. And I just, you know, with, um, like, just if you could kind of go over that again. And I can take the okay. answer off, off the radio. Thank you, Krista. I appreciate you being faithful to to listen. I can do that. It's really very important. We have been on Sunday mornings here at Calvary Chapel to be in the Gospel of Luke right now. And uh, understanding the majesty of of the word, the, 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 the totality of unity between Old Testament and New Testament is really, really important. Uh, the four Gospels... Uh, written by four different men, that's obvious, I have a completely different purpose. Uh, each of those Gospels, and by the way, these Gospel accounts and the examples that I'm going to give you are consistent with the uh, images that were seen by um, Isaiah, uh, the images that were seen um, by uh, Ezekiel, um, the this visions of God's throne, um, it, they demonstrate the multifaceted, um, not only wisdom, but power of God. And so when God chose Matthew and Mark and Luke and John to write these gospel accounts, he put in their heart to have a different purpose. In Matthew's gospel, it is by far the most Jewish of all of the gospel accounts. The evidence is as was foretold in the scriptures, or this was to fulfill that which was written in the scriptures. And the the purpose of Matthew's gospel is to present Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah of Israel. And to do that um, is just Jesus demonstrating that he came first to the lost um, house of Israel. Uh, that was his intention. That was the, the model that Paul will follow later in his ministry. But but his is the of Jesus as the Jewish Christ. Um, Mark's gospel, which, by the way, is Peter's perspective, uh, presents Jesus as the servant of man. Jesus says, I didn't come to be served. Rather, I came to serve. And Mark represents uh, Jesus' heart to serve humankind. So he presents him as the servant of God. Luke's gospel presents Jesus in his humanity. The picture Luke intentionally presents is to present Jesus as a human being, one who could empathize with us because he's one of us. He understands us. He gets tired. So, yes, Jesus was God, but Jesus was also human. And we sometimes conflate those two perspectives. And then, of course, the Gospel of John, with its heavy emphasis on miracles, presents Jesus in all of his fullness as Almighty God. So we've got the Christ or the Messiah. We've got the servant of mankind in Mark. We've got Jesus as fully human in Luke. But in the Gospel of John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And the Word dwelt among us, verse 14 says. And of course, that's a reference to Jesus in all his deity. Now, one of the things that we need to understand, especially from the Gospel of John, is this heavy emphasis on miracles are things that only God could do. And so that's the reason, Crystal, for the different uh, perspectives of Jesus' ministry. None by themselves is completely um, full, um, but together when you get him, what you, you have is this, this marvelous picture of an infinite God who went to unbelievable lengths to win us. I was just doing a Bible study today, a study that I'll be doing tomorrow night uh, here at Calvary Chapel, and, and uh, uh, it's from Second Samuel chapter 14. It says, God devises a way. Well, God devised a way to save you, Crystal, and to save me. And to do it, Jesus had to have all of that to present to us as humans. So that's the answer to the question, and, and it's, it's one that I get uh, with some frequency. Crystal, thank you for listening. I appreciate it very, very much. 340-9585, here is uh, Nacho from our email inbox. Uh, Pastor Ron, in regard to the subject of 
I have a hard time seeing here for a minute, of speaking to or communicating with the dead, which the secular world seems intrigued with. Isn't that true, Nacho? The secular world always wants to talk to somebody who's already either gone to be with the Lord or somebody who's gone to be in the place of torment. Uh, he says, as Christians, when we die, are we not then immediately before our Lord? And since we're in the Lord's area of influence, can humans reach out to talk to us? I assume that the Lord allowed Saul to summon Samuel only for the purpose of making his point to Saul and not in the fact that he, the witch of Endor, was successful in reaching Samuel in heaven. I do wonder, however, if people who are not saved and destined to an eternal separation from God, could they be reached by mediums and the like here on earth? Uh, Nacho, God is never going to contradict the things that he said to us. In the case of the witch of Endor and, and Samuel being summoned, remember Samuel wasn't in heaven. Samuel was in the Luke chapter 16 place called Paradise, the abode of the righteous dead. And God made an exception on this one occasion to disturb Samuel from his paradise. But, but he had a very specific mission, and his mission was to pronounce judgment on Saul. So here's the thing. If God ever lets anybody speak to us from the dead, it's going to be to pronounce judgment. So humans cannot reach out to talk to us. When they are dead, they are either with Jesus or they're in a place of torment. And if they're in a place of torment, there's not going to be any relief, not even for an instant. So no, they cannot reach out to talk to us. Now, I do want to be very clear about this. There are people who are legitimately convinced that they have had conversations with the dead. And I don't doubt for a moment that they think their experience is legitimate. Here's the problem. The problem is that doesn't come from God. That comes from the, the enemy of our souls. I have a friend, and, and he happens to be a really, really nice guy. Nice people are the hardest ones to share Jesus with because they don't think they need him. And this guy was in a really, really bad car accident. He was literally dead, they said, for uh, several minutes and was brought back to life. And whenever I share Jesus with him, he would say, I don't need Jesus. I'm okay. And the reason he thinks he's okay is because in that near-death experience, he felt such a peace and such a comfort and such a fullness of joy. And he saw light and he walked to it and it got brighter and brighter. And so he said, I know I'm going to be okay. Those are lies from the pit of hell. So the people that think they're speaking to the dead... You know, we have people that go out, Christians, unfortunately, who go out and sit at grave sites to communicate with their departed dead. But the departed dead aren't listening. I know it makes us feel good. There's nothing wrong, by the way, with going to a cemetery and remembering your loved one. But to try to talk to him or to talk to her, there are going to be times when we open a door to a spiritual world that we want no part of. So humans, dead ones, cannot reach out to talk to us. They're not watching over us. It's another thing, Nacho, that we say to make ourselves feel good. Well, you know, my wife is in heaven and she's watching out for me or my parents are in heaven. They're, they're not watching out for you. They're watching Jesus if they're in heaven. So we say those things because it's sort of sloppy sentiment but none of it's true. And I think what we need to do as Christians is take a truthful and objective view of our faith so that we can rightly communicate it to those who don't yet know Jesus. So thank you. If anybody who isn't saved, Nacho, is listening for people from heaven, all they're going to get is an enemy who's going to deceive them. Here is our mobile app question from Kirby. Will the 144,000 be Jewish only? If so, will they stay Jewish once they become evangelists, or will they become Christians? Well, Kirby, they will have already become Christians. Now, they will be Jewish. Revelation chapter 7 even identifies them 12,000 Jews from each of the 12,000, or uh, each of the 12 tribes. So we got 144,000 Jewish evangelists who receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And I guess it's appropriate to say they become completed Jews, but their Judaism now is left behind. 
And they become men that God will use to lead the great revival, the greatest revival in the history of our world. Uh, During the Great Tribulation, it's God's mercy reaching out even to those, every last one, who won't take the mark of the beast. And so these will be 144,000. I always imagine them as 144,000 Apostle Pauls with one difference. The Apostle Paul could be killed and was. These 144,000 are are going to be sealed, protected by God, so that they're invincible. Nothing can hurt them. Nothing can stop the work that they're going to do. But they are only Jews. They are completed Jews. In other words, they become believers, and their message then has nothing whatsoever to do with Judaism. Their message has only to do with Jesus Christ. He is the one that we were waiting for. And by the way, all 144,000 aren't going to go only to Jews. They're going to go all over the world. But imagine what it would be like if and when they encounter a Jew and the Jew says, you mean this Jesus? Everybody knows about Jesus. This Jesus really was the Christ? And God opens their heart to receive it. Imagine the joy. Well, you don't have to imagine it. You can go to Acts chapter 2 because that's exactly what happened, Kirby. The disciples who became apostles didn't retain their Jewishness. They became born-again believers in all of the fullness. So, thank you, Kirby. Appreciate the question. 340-9585. Here is another question. This one from Debbie from our email inbox. Uh, She says, My heart is breaking. I'm surrounded by saved friends who are telling me my Lord and Savior is totally fine with things like homosexuality and female pastors. Their stance is, well, the Bible was written a lot with the culture of the Jewish people in mind. Many of those verses you point to say female pastors are not biblical or homosexuality is a sin are parts of Scripture that don't apply to modern Christians because it was just the culture of that day with that group of people, not intended for everyone. Then she continues, some of these people were even used to be pastors, now saying they support the LBGT community and women can be pastors. I know they're wrong, but how does one use Scripture properly to lovingly correct their twisted point of view? Debbie, I cannot tell you how my heart breaks over this very issue. Uh, In your email to us, uh, you had quotations around the work saved. I'm surrounded by saved friends. Um, Debbie, they're probably not saved. I can tell you they have no understanding of the scriptures. They have no understanding at all about how to study the scriptures. And they have no attachment to the scriptures. I say this often on this program, but as born-again Christians, Debbie, it's our job our responsibility to agree with God. And we serve a God who doesn't change. We serve a God who doesn't have ebbs and flows. You know, and uh, while it's hard to imagine for us in the 21st century, Debbie, homosexuality was just as prominent in the ancient world as it is in our world today. One needs only to read the history of the city of Corinth It was from Corinth that Paul wrote the book of Romans. Think about that for a moment. He would see all of this ungodliness, and that would cause Paul to write in Romans chapter 1 that that God gave them over to these sinful acts. He gave them over to themselves, and their hearts became rock hard. And in the process of their hearts becoming hard, they became more and more abased. Men with other men women doing unnatural things with other women. You have to be dishonest to come to the conclusion that homosexuality is somehow okay. If God changes for our culture, why didn't he change for their culture? So here's what you do, Debbie, and I know this is really, really hard. You share Jesus with your friends. 
You share Jesus with those who don't really know him. And tell them, not judgmentally, but just tell them that if you really knew Jesus, you could not come to this conclusion. Ask him, how much time do you spend reading your Bible? How much time do you study it? What do you know about it? And Do you really believe that God wrote it? If God doesn't change and something he said was sin 2,000 years ago or 5,000 years ago, if God wrote it, is it not true that those things are still sin? And so continue with a broken heart because Jesus' heart is broken as well. But make your case in love. Don't argue. Don't debate. But by all means, don't assume they're saved just because they were raised in church. This is a different issue rather than a social issue. It's a theological issue. But the same thing happens, Debbie, to people who say, well, I'm a Christian, but I believe in evolution. You just can't believe those things and be saved. Not you might believe those things when you're saved, but if you're really saved, remember the same Holy Spirit that wrote the Bible comes to live within us, and he begins leading you out. And most of your friends have no earthly idea about how our Bible came to be. They don't believe it because they've been convinced by the world that it's more loving to accept people. And then most of all, as you share with them, pray for them. They don't get the Bible. They don't care about what the Bible says. They've been convinced by the culture. Believing the lie. It's my opinion, Debbie, that it is times like these now you know that I believe that we're in the last days. And there's going to be a great spirit of deception, of falling away. And I believe is a sign of those last days that falling away has already begun. And I believe it's already begun with issues just like this. So what do you do when they become a pastor who proclaims that it's okay to be gay? Maybe remind them of Jesus' words. I would, and I've done this with pastors. Jesus talked about people who cause his little ones to stumble. Imagine if I told somebody in my church who was gay, and by the way, one of the things that Myra Jo's Sweet Summer Devotion dealt with last night was her past life being with other women. What if I'd have told Myra Jo that that's okay, God wants you to be happy, as long as you're sincere and you really love each other, it's okay. There would be no Sweet Summer Devotion last night, and when I stood before Jesus... He would say, depart from me, for I never knew you. Why? He said, if you make one of his little ones stumble, it would be better not to be born. Be a millstone and a deep, dark ocean. Not a good combination. So, Debbie, keep your heart breaking and stand firm in the truth. I promise you, you are in a diminishing minority even inside the proclaiming Church of Jesus Christ. It breaks my heart continually. Thank you, Debbie. 340-9585. We're just at about two minutes left in this half of the program. We would love any of your live calls and questions. You know, as, uh, I'm, I'm rather go to another question. I'll just finish my thought um, relative to Myra Joe's Sweet Summer Devotion last night. It's a young girl who, because she was told the truth, by her mother and her father, by pastors in churches that really believe what's true. This young woman who now stands before the people of God as one of Jesus' trophies, one who has been transformed not by men or women, but by God himself. And had anybody told her it was okay especially when the Holy Spirit is convicting her of sin throughout the whole process. Imagine what God's response would be. 
We live in a time, I said, of the great falling away, and I truly believe with all of my heart that that falling away has begun. I believe that the truth is no longer going to be welcome in the church. It's easier to go along, to get along. And I think this is one of those plumb lines, a dividing line. I always call it Jesus drawing a line in the spiritual sand. And what he's asking Christians is which side of that line are we on? Are you going to stand with me, Jesus said, or are you going to stand opposite or against me? And every one of us, we have to make up our mind. And if we're not faithful to study our Bibles, if we're not spending time with the Lord, not just in prayer, but I mean just spending time with the Lord, I promise you we're not going to be able to resist the attack this world is making on the truth of Jesus Christ. Isn't it amazing that in just the last 10 years, 15 tops, the history of our nation, the history indeed of our world, has been turned upside down, and we've been convinced. Wow. 340-9585. We've got 30 minutes left in the program. On the other side of the break, we'll see you in two. Bye-bye. to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our program. I know at the end I said bye-bye, but I didn't really mean it. I meant see you in a minute. Here is a question from Jackie. Jackie says, is being slain in the spirit biblical? No, the answer is no. It's nonsense, it's foolishness, and why people who are Christians who get caught up in it, Jackie, uh, get caught up in it, I have no earthly idea. So I think your discernment is like kicking in if you saw it uh, or watched it being practiced. There is nothing godly or biblical about it. Um, uh, It's an embarrassment, and yet we Christians fall for that stuff all of the time. So um, it's not true. I, I've had people say, well, Pastor Ron, you say it's not true, but I know it was real because it happened to me. Well, if it happened to you, it was one of two things. It was either psychosomatic or it was from an enemy spirit. It's that simple because it's simply not something that can be understood by reading our Bibles, it's that, that, that pure. You know, when people say, well, Pastor Ron, you're trying to put God in a box. And I've had so many people say that God is in a box, but he's the one who created the box. It's very important we understand that God loves us. And the Holy Spirit, when operating, gives us the fruit of self-control. We're never out of control. And if we are, it's not of God. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here is a question from Walt. He says, "I'm a pastor of a small church. Can I ask how you take care of yourself in terms of making sure your needs are met? Even in my smaller church, I often feel like I'm carrying such a burden, and it seems too heavy at times. How do you guard against being overwhelmed by all that you're responsible for?" Uh, Walt, uh, what I'm going to say, and, and I'm going to talk to you as I would talk to my staff pastors or my pastor's discipleship class. Um, None of this is intended to make me sound spiritual. I am not. I am a wretched man, just like the Apostle Paul described that he is, uh, but one who has been saved, uh, one who has been given purpose and direction in life. Here's the thing that we need to understand, and we need to remind ourselves of this when we feel overwhelmed, is that Every time that's in play, we're the ones who are carrying the burden that we can't carry. So here's what I do in those moments, and I have them just like you do. When you feel overwhelmed because things are going on or there's so much expected of you, that's when I remember, Jesus, this isn't my burden to carry. These are your burdens to carry. These aren't my people. They're your people. So... How do I take care of myself? 
I try to get to be with Jesus every minute of every day. I, I don't always succeed, but that's my desire. And by the way, it's his desire as well. And so I'm not carrying a burden. If I tried to carry it, it would crush me. So it's one of those things that we really have to focus. You know, here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, I'll just give you one example, Walt. Here at Calvary Chapel, uh, the Lord made it very clear a long time ago, and he, and he made it clear that this was going to be for, for, for the duration of our church, that we're never to let our needs be known, and we're never to ask for money. Somebody once asked me, do you have a building fund? or do you have, We need a building fund, but we don't have the freedom given by God to do it. Now, the reason I bring that up is because if I decided, Walt, that I've got to do something because money is so tight, it always is. I've got to do something to get people to give. Well, then I would be taking the burden that Jesus is carrying and carrying it myself. And I can promise you that me carrying that burden would crush me in no time at all. So the way that I take care of myself is to make sure that when I start to feel those overwhelming burdens, I give them to him because they're really his in the first place. He promised that his burden, his yoke is easy and light. And every day he says to us, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. Something else, Walton, you don't give me any details about your situation. Uh, I have a staff of wonderful people that God has surrounded me with, and I entrust them with the things that they're gifted to do. There isn't one thing that I feel like I've got to do everything uh, because God's blessed me with such good people. And a pastor needs to be a good delegator. We need to recognize that people that God brings to our churches, that, that, that they have gifts given by God's Spirit. And we have to create an environment where they can use them. And as soon as we do that, again, under your supervision and certainly under your direction, but as soon as they begin using the gifts that God gives them, you're going to find that God has given you, your church, everything that you need to function in the direction and the vision that God wants to give you. So I've got wonderful people who are around. I also understand my own gifting. Um, I don't do things that, that I'm not gifted to do. That's a, a sure recipe for what I call a flesh disaster. So I don't feel like just because I'm the pastor of this church that I have to put on a show or make it appear that I'm able to do everything. When I don't know something, I say I don't know something. When I can't figure out something to do, we bring our staff together. And in my case, Paula is not staff, but, but she certainly is my most valuable advisor. And what, what I do is we talk about it with people that I know love me and share the same vision that God has given. Those are really important things. Make sure that you do what you need to do, Walt, in order to be refreshed daily, get enough sleep, get enough exercise, those kinds of things. If you have a family, um, Paul and I, when we came to Texas uh, 23-plus years ago, uh, our kids were already grown and gone. Um, uh, so, so there was nothing keeping us from devoting all of our energies to doing this work. But all of my staff pastors have children. And uh, those children, all but one, I think, has, has, has children. Uh, and he happens to be my youth pastor who has a lot of children. So um, I wouldn't require that they do what Paul and I did. I don't want them to miss family things. I don't want them to miss their kids' ball games or concerts or dance recitals. Um, I want them to give me all of their strength in the time that they have to give. But I also want them to give their family all their strength to make sure that their family needs are met. So depending on just how in-depth this question is intended... If you're just walking with Jesus, Walt, you'll be fine. If you're not, you're going to feel overwhelmed. It's that simple. When I feel overwhelmed, then I start taking on too much. By the way, the one area where I often feel overwhelmed is in social things. A church that's as big as ours is in terms of the number of people. Uh, I could go to 
some dinner or some family event or some graduation or some party, uh, literally every single night of the week. Um, I, I personally just can't do that and have enough strength left over to do what I'm called to do. I, I protect my weekends. Um, there's nothing more important that I do during the week uh, in terms of my ministry than being ready to give God's Word. Um, I do it Wednesday, I do it Friday, I do it three times on Sunday. Uh, and so I don't let anything sort of intrude on that preparation or that rest time. Um, I occasionally do weddings on uh, evenings, but, but very, very rarely. The weddings that I do, I try to make sure they're afternoon weddings on Saturday, so I have plenty of time to rest and get in bed. So I wake up, take my walk with Jesus, and can serve the people that he's given me. These are just things that you kind of have to work out on your own. Walt, God bless you for being a pastor of a small church. Hope that helps. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Nancy. Um, ooh, this is going to make me cry. Um, Nancy says, why would God not allow some women to have children? It seems cruel to us to have... It seems cruel to us to want children but not be able to do so. Oh, Nancy, uh, I can't tell you. I can't tell you how, how much I understand... Um, I've lived with men and women who want children desperately. I just mentioned our youth pastor, Nellie, and his wife, beautiful wife, Michi. Um, I, I can't imagine anybody ever being a good parent. And yet God has, at least for this time, not enabled them to do so, and their hearts break. But that's their burden to carry. In my office where I'm sitting, I'm looking at a photograph that was given to me a long time ago by a very special young woman named Davina. Uh, when she came to church, as in the book of Romans, it's a picture with the candle burning out and Bible open and glasses on it turned to the book of Romans. That's where I was teaching when they got saved. And she would have been the best mom ever. But because of one mistake she made, one, and I mean literally one mistake. Uh, she was unable to bear children, uh, and it broke her heart. What she did, though, with that desire was she spent herself, poured herself out on the women who did have children, being an, a helper, an eager helper, an available friend. And she was obviously much beloved. By the way, yesterday was the anniversary of her murder here many years ago now. I can't remember exactly how many years. But she took that desire and poured the energy of the Holy Spirit into it and became sort of a substitute mom. Did she want kids? Of course she did. We have people in our church, I can think of three of them off the top of my head, I know there are more, but people who wanted children were unable to have them, and they were able to adopt siblings, multiple siblings who are hard cases to adopt, and they offered their homes and their hearts, and in the process these kids got a glorious second chance in life. Maybe that's God's plan. Nancy, I'm not trying to be simplistic here. But offer your body to God. Say, God, I want a child. As of now, I'm not able to bear a child. But if you bless me, I'll be the best mom ever and I'll be so grateful. But if you don't, how can I fulfill this longing to be a mother? There are a lot of children who need second chances. I think about Scott and Wanda. Scott is a teacher here at the academy. They have two children of their own, beautiful, beautiful kids. 
And yet God was doing something in their heart, and they fostered first and then adopted another son. Found out that they had a, there was an older sibling, and now that sibling is with them as well. So don't focus on what you don't have. Focus instead, Nancy, on what God wants to give you. I understand your pain. I understand, as best a man can understand, that desire, that normal, godly desire uh, for women to have children. But maybe God has a better plan for you. And never stop believing. Hannah wanted a child she was unable to bear. God was preparing her for a very special child. Here is a question from Natalie. She says, Is it okay to get rebaptized even though I was baptized as an infant? I don't feel like that baptism had any real value, and now as an adult, I think it would be the right thing to do. My mother is aggressively against me doing it. Um, Natalie, of course it's okay. In fact, it's not only okay, I'll tell you it's commanded by Scripture. When you give your heart to Jesus, when you make a commitment of faith, then we demonstrate publicly our gratitude by proclaiming to the world that we belong to Jesus. The way we do that is primarily through water baptism. You had no say-so as an infant. It was not a valuable experience for you. Your mother is undoubtedly bound by religious tradition which has no basis in Scripture. The very best way you can witness to her is say, Mom, I love you, and I know you're against this. I'm not doing this to hurt your feelings, but I'm doing it because even though I love you so very much, I love Jesus more. And he says to do it and get baptized. There's a public declaration of your faith, the death of the old you, and the resurrection to real life of the new you in Christ. So Natalie, get rebaptized. By the way, that gives me an opportunity to remind you, as I did yesterday, that this coming Sunday we have a baptism coming up at um, in Spring Branch area. We've got directions to it on our website. If if uh, you, Natalie, or anybody else, uh, as a believer, but you haven't been baptized, or you get saved between now and Sunday and want to get baptized. We invite you to come. There'll be hundreds and hundreds of people out there, lots of potluck-type food to eat, hot dogs and hamburgers and other things that people bring, Um, opportunity to share your testimony, what brought you to that particular point briefly, uh, if, if, uh, if you are so led, nobody has to, Um, but uh, an opportunity to be publicly baptized. Uh, making that statement to everybody who's watching. You can invite family members and friends, especially unsaved ones, because it's amazing how the Holy Spirit will use the witness of the people going into the water and the things that they say uh, to win the hearts of even sometimes the hardest cases. So that's coming up. We're we're planning on starting around 3.30, eating, then right after that we'll get in the water. Uh, and uh, and do the baptism. That's coming up this Sunday. Um, CalvarySA.com. You can get the directions. Plenty of parking out there. Uh, there's a, a man who lives out there who's been so generous with allowing us the space uh, to park our cars. We've got people that will drive you down in uh, little Polaris-type vehicles. Uh, so... Um, be real convenient to go down, but be really, really good. And we'd love to see you out there. Uh, if you come out from the radio audience, um, just introduce yourself to me. Um, I'll talk to you just for a moment to make sure that you really know what baptism is about, making sure that this is what you want to do. And we'd love to do it. And you will be welcomed and loved on by some of the wonderful people, really wonderful people. Hey, one quick prayer. I know we've had some rain in these last few days, and we needed it, but... I just got word today that the water levels in the river are lower than they have been uh, in many, many, many years. So we need some water to be in the river so that we can do the baptisms. If you would pray for that, I would appreciate it. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Lexi. 
Uh, Lexi wants to know, are there any female angels? Lexi, the answer is no. Now, angels don't have gender assignments like people do. But but angels are always referred to biblically in the masculine language. So um, the answer is no. That doesn't mean um, anything good or bad. It just means that's the way it is. You know, we live in a world, Lexi, as I'm sure you know, and maybe that's what um, motivated the question here. But we live in a world where it's decidedly unpopular to refer to people uh, in a particular masculine or feminine form. Uh, but, but God made us male and female. He didn't stutter when he did it. He didn't have any second thoughts. Well, maybe there's something in between. He didn't say that. So uh, God is a man, a human. He became a human. But, but God's always the Father, the Son, the Spirit referred to um, in, in masculine nouns. Um, same as I said is true with angels. Um, humans were special. We're distinctive. But he made us all male and female. That doesn't give us the authority to change who we are. We can say, I was born in the wrong body. But that is to deny what is so clearly true and evident. In the time that we live in, I remember this isn't what your question was about, Lexi. In the time that we live in, we are creating um, a future of torment. And I don't mean eternally, I mean even on this earth for people who simply can't accept the reality of their situation. We're not helping people. We're not loving people. If we love them, we tell them the truth and love and then tell them about Jesus and learn to be content in any and all circumstances. So, Lexi, no girl angels. Jake, he says, are angels jealous of human beings? Jake, um, no, um, with one exception, and I'll get to that in a moment, but no, uh, angels are content in their estate. Uh, you know, two-thirds of the angels God made are. The, the, the third that fell, they're not, but they're already paying the price. They know their end. Um, but, but they have no reason to be jealous. They're in the presence of God. They are, are, are powerful, powerful beings. They can do things and say things that we can't even begin to consider as possible. But most of all, they get to be in the presence of God. Sort of like what we'll be able to do in the millennium and then later in the new heaven and new earth. We can be with Jesus whenever we want to be. They can do that every day. Now, I think there was one angel, Jake, who was jealous. I think that angel was Lucifer. We know him as Satan or the devil. And this is just my opinion. I don't want anybody to take this for gospel truth. If you disagree, you're just as saved as I am. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says that we're God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works which he has prepared in advance for us to do. The word workmanship is a Greek word poema. We get our English word poem from it. And what Ephesians 2.10 suggests very strongly is that we're God's work of art. We're the best thing he ever created. And I personally believe that when God created Adam and Eve, he summoned all of the angels and said, watch this, you know, this is the sixth day of creation, you saw everything I've done, this is the best, by far the best I've ever done. God created Adam and he created Eve and look, look what I've done. And I think personally that that was when Lucifer fell. That was when jealousy was stirred in him. The Bible strongly suggests, Ezekiel chapter 28, Isaiah 14, that Lucifer was God's most beautiful creation. And suddenly he wasn't. And I think that was the thing that sort of motivated the fall. Again, that's only my opinion, but it certainly, at least to me, makes sense. 
Jake, thanks for the question. I think we've got time for one more question. Let me see if i got one that won't take too long. Here's an honest one. People I know who are not believers are faithful in church attendance. Why would someone go to church if they are not Christians? Anonymous, I ask that question a lot. I have a son and daughter-in-law that I love so deeply. They're wonderful people. But they're not believers. Well, they've started to go to church. Now, I hope they're going to church because it's the Spirit of God sort of dragging them, pulling them. Um, But I wanted to ask them that question myself. It's like they, they tell me their father's a pastor. Well, we go to church. Like, I'm going to be impressed by that. But going to church doesn't do anything until you become the church. I tell my church all the time, I'm very direct with them, as I think you probably know. I think 50% of the people that come to church aren't really born-again Christians. And some of them are faithful people I know. They give, they come. But what I care about is that they're born again. I have no idea, Anonymous, why somebody would come and listen to me as direct as I am week after week after week if they're not being saved. They can go to churches where they can do whatever they want to do and they would never feel bad about themselves. But they keep coming. And I thank God that they keep coming because one day God's going to open those spiritual eyes and I pray that things will will change. Hope that helps. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. I appreciate it very, very much. You've been listening to the Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Ron Arbaugh, the pastor of Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, Texas. Lord willing, we'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630, The Word. See you then. Have a wonderful evening. Tell somebody Jesus loves them. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.